0: Publishing for Profit podcast is brought to you by Ghostwriters and Co. Earn more money by publishing better content, and learn how to increase your thought leadership so you can build your brand. Head over to GhostwritersandCo.com for more information. That's GhostwritersandCo.com. And now, your host, Joel Mark Harris.
1: Hello and welcome to the Publishing for Profit podcast. This is your host, Joel Mark Harris. Today we have an amazing guest on the show, Ricky Shetty. He is a Amazon best-selling author with 10 books under his name. He is also a world traveler and he runs a website called Daddy Blogger where he talks about being a father and being a husband. We talk about a bunch of different things from internet marketing, to the most important things about being a father and how to become a digital nomad. Hopefully you enjoy this episode. Hi, Ricky, uh, welcome uh, from the Philippines. How are you today?
0: I'm doing amazing, Joel. Great to reconnect with you, my friend.
1: Yeah, it's been uh, some time, four years, uh, since I guess uh, we uh, we last talked and we last really connected. Um, so obviously you've been traveling, you've been experiencing the world uh, with over eighty countries. That's amazing. What do you think is the biggest life lesson you've learned through your, I mean, travels for like the last two years?
0: Yeah. So just like Joel, I'm actually from Vancouver. So we're both Vancouver boys, and uh, I ended up uh, leaving Vancouver uh, back in two thousand and. 16, so four years now, I left Vancouver with my wife. I uh, married to Anne, and then we have three kids. Our daughters eight, and then our son's six, and then I have another son who's uh, four, so eight, six, and four. Uh, and then we actually traveled around the world for a whole year. We sold our place in Vancouver, uh, house, a car, furniture, books, whatever people were willing to buy, and we ended up traveling. Uh, so my kids have already been to 20 countries by the time they turned five. Pretty incredible because like when I was five years old, I'd only been to like Canada, US basically. So my kids have been to like 20 countries and uh, I personally been to 81 because I did a lot of travel before I got married and had kids. So it's been amazing Joel, um, you know, uh, seeing the world, uh, seeing the incredible natural beauty, also the man-made beauty. Like I've seen the pyramids, I've seen Iguazu Falls, Grand Canyon, Niagara Falls, uh, you know, all these uh, world wonders. We went on an African safari. So we got to see lions in the wild and elephants in the wild, giraffes in the wild. We got to see Dubai, which is like the tallest uh, building in the world. So in terms of what your question is about what have I learned, I could write a book. I know we're (laughs) going to be talking about books. I could write a lot of books. We'll be talking about
1: your book for sure. Your books, plural.
0: Yes. So in terms of uh, what have I learned from uh, travel generally... Um, I, I feel like people are very kind and hospitable. Like, uh, sometimes the media will say, oh, these places are dangerous or travel is dangerous or, uh, you know, you need to be careful. And there's that whole stereotype about danger associated with travel. I want to kind of reconstruct that stereotype and say that travel is very safe. You have to be street smart, not walk around at night, et cetera. But I think uh, in general, people are good. That's something I really, really realized. People want to help. They're kind. Uh, you don't need to worry about um, being stranded or something because people always help you. And I'll give you a quick example, Joel. Please. Uh, We're doing this interview during the time of COVID, you know, big crisis globally. And I'm here in Romblon, which is a small island. Got stuck here when the country locked down. And uh, I've just been treated like a king, like royalty here. Even though I'm a tourist. I'm a foreigner. I don't belong here. Uh, But they've really treated me well. I've got a free place to stay. The vice governor uh, accommodated me here. Um, even the meals have been uh, covered. So just, and I didn't know him before. I just ended up meeting him while I was here. So just, that's one example of just locals being so kind and hospitable. And I could tell you examples and examples and examples on end, but uh, yeah, just the the fact that people are kind and caring uh, is one big learning lesson I've learned, Joel.
1: What do you, I mean, yeah, you've seen so much, way more than I have seen for sure. Is there any one Spot that sticks out for you in particular.
0: You know, uh, obviously there's the, the famous ones that everyone knows, like the Eiffel Tower or the Great Wall of China is incredible. The pyramids are spectacular. I want to kind of maybe highlight some that are not as well known. Uh, so because we're both Canadian, we both know Niagara Falls. But there's mm-hmm. actually a bigger waterfalls, and it's actually between Brazil and Argentina. It's called Iguazu Falls. And I actually, just truthfully, I didn't know much about that waterfalls but it's actually the biggest waterfall in the world by volume. It's actually three times the size of Niagara. Niagara wow. gets a little bit more press or uh, kind of more famous because it's in Canada, US border, right? So it's uh, North America. So this waterfall in South America is three times as big as Niagara. And hardly anyone knows that. They're like, Igua what, Iguazu? <laughs> so I just wanted to highlight that, uh, incredible. Uh, uh, and also Machu Picchu in Peru, um, mm. the Inca La city, that was incredible. The energy of the place, just like uh, the fact that they built the city, literally in the mountains in the middle of nowhere is incredible. So uh, Great Wall of China definitely stands out. The pyramids stand out. Iguazu falls in terms of natural beauty. Um, And I I would recommend everyone does uh, animal safari once in your life because we've all been to a zoo. It's so much different when you see animals in the wild, when you're staring like uh, two meters away, you're staring a lion in the face with uh, he's ready to eat you, basically, with no cage. And that's uh, definitely something that we'll never forget. So the African safari is definitely high on the list as well.
1: It's Kind of like um, the Tiger, Tiger King uh, reality <laughs> edition, <Yes>. right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Tiger King in real life. Yeah.
1: So you describe yourself as a digital nomad. Can you describe what that
0: is? Of course, Joel. Yeah, that's, I would say, a fairly new concept. uh, And I'll just break it down by the word or the term itself. Uh, The word digital nomad or the phrase digital nomad, break it down. Digital means someone who's working online. Internet marketer, they've traditionally been called. uh, Digital digital marketer, internet marketer. And then a nomad is someone who travels, obviously, nomadic. Um, So when you combine the two, it's somebody who's working online while traveling. And uh, we live in a day and age where we can work um, from the comforts of anywhere. A beach, a cafe, a restaurant, an Airbnb, a hostel, a hotel, and from the comforts of technology, um, you know, uh, smartphones, tablets, laptops, they're so mobile and so portable. Like I'm doing this interview here on my iPhone and I could do this anywhere, right? Literally, I could carry it and do it, walking around, as long as I have good internet connection, which uh, thanks we have on this call here. Mm. Um, So a digital nomad is someone who just may be able to work online doing a multitude of different types of things, which we can elaborate on. And they they like to travel. So they're not stationed in a place. Some nomads might be. They might set a base in a famous place like Bali, which is a nomad hub. Chiang Mai, Thailand, which is a nomad hub. Um, so they might set a base for maybe six months or a year. But then um, they'll uh, pack up their backpack. And then they'll go to the next place and still continue to generate income and still, still see this incredible world. So that's, in a nutshell, what a digital nomad is, Joel.
1: How, and so how did you first come to understand this concept? And and how did, was that something that you always kind of wanted to do and just didn't know the term? Or is there, like, another way of how, how did you discover this?
0: Great question, Joel. Uh, so back in my 20s, uh, early 30s, before I got married, I actually traveled a lot as a... Broke backpacker with very little money. As we all do, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we all have done that. Uh, You know, maybe the European backpacking trip after college or university. So I I did that. I stayed in youth hostels. I did the Couchsurfing.com thing where you're just staying in a couch um, and hitchhiking even. So that was my cheap way of traveling. And obviously we do that because we have no money. And the obstacle for people traveling is the money, the money variable. Don't have enough money. Can't take time off my job have family commitments. We've heard all the excuses, quote unquote. Um, so the internet gives us this power to work still, right? So I was already doing internet marketing, you know, Joel and me, we've uh, worked together on several different projects back in Vancouver, internet marketing related. So I was already doing internet marketing and I got married and had kids. So I thought I was just gonna be in the suburbs for the rest of my life, you know? Maybe White until i like White picket fences, empty. yeah. Yeah, you know, the stereotype, right? uh so just didn't have the dog I had the three kids the <laughs> wife and the house uh, so uh, I really love to travel uh and my wife uh, hadn't traveled as much and we wanted to show all the kids so it just seemed it was the wrong time but it was the right time if you know what I mean the wrong time is because our kids were young we had just bought a place like two years before we ended up selling it and uh, we were stable. My wife had a stable job. I was uh, well-connected in the, well, uh, in the Vancouver community. So the wrong time, like no one's crazy enough to travel with young kids. Uh, that was the wrong time, but it's also the right time because our kids were young. They weren't established in school. So it was easier to take them then before they made their friends, uh, uh, you know, started enrolling in schools and ballet and Taekwondo and karate You know, those kind of uh, things. So it was, and there's no right time too, by the way. So It was just the right time for us I would say so it made sense Um, and we didn't have the money so we ended up selling our stuff and uh, still working online as well so you might have to do that as well Um, and we are budgeting when we're traveling too so we would uh, stay in uh, even as a family we would stay in hostels Uh, we would um, there's like something called house sitting where you can actually stay at a house and just take care of the pets or the gardening and then you can stay for free you can do things like travel hacking to save money as well so It just made sense for us to do this digital nomad lifestyle. And we're probably one of the only family digital nomads. Usually you think of a digital nomad as someone who's in their 20s, uh, you know, the surfer look. Uh, But we are definitely not surfer-looking type of people. And uh, we made it work for us as a family, Joel. Uh,
1: So you mentioned travel hacking. What is that?
0: Travel hacking, great question. So I'm not an uh, expert at this by any means. But basically, in a nutshell, travel hacking means you're using credit card miles and points to get free or discounted flights and hotels you can use like status uh, um, and most of the major airline uh, conglomerates they'll have actually have these point schemes where you just basically uh, sign for credit cards and then you'll get points for signing up uh, points for retaining and po- points for monthly spend you accumulate those points and you um, trade in the points for uh, discounted flights you I mean you can fly across the Pacific or Atlantic for like less than 50 U S sometimes wow. you're just paying for taxes. So, uh, it's, there's a whole community around travel hacking. Um, you know, the, your listeners can just Google travel hacking. Uh, there's a famous website. I'll give a shout out to the points guy. He's one of the world's foremost authorities on travel hacking. It differs country to country, obviously. So U S is different than Canada, uh, different than Europe, different from Australia. Usually it's more uh, limited to Western countries. Um, in Europe, North America, and Australia. But yeah, travel hacking is a huge um, uh, topic. You probably should get an expert on that topic to enlighten your listeners because I'm definitely not an expert in it.
1: Have you always had the travel bug and and where does that love for travel come from?
0: Yeah, I would say no. I didn't always have the travel bug Uh, from zero when I was born to early 20s. I hadn't traveled much. Uh, because I'm, in I'm from Vancouver, which is near the U.S. border, obviously cross over the border a few times a year, you know, doing your shopping and uh, getaways into Washington State in the U.S. And then um, my ethnic background is Indian. So I'd been to India several times to visit relatives like uncles, aunts, cousins, etc., in India. So I'd only been to three countries by the time I was in my early 20s. Um, and then really the travel bug, uh, as they say, hit me or bit me <laughs> or hit and bit me in the early 20s. Uh, I'd finished university, graduated, wasn't sure what to do with my life. So I did the teaching in Japan thing. I taught English there for a year. Then I ended up saving enough money to travel around Asia. I did a working holiday in Australia, traveled around Australia, New Zealand, did a working holiday in London, and then traveled around Europe. So I was actually kind of already doing the working and traveling thing, but it was more just casual jobs like waiting, bartending, uh, working in a call center, teaching English, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I was in my early 20s is when really I – got infected because once you start traveling, you just realize like, oh man, this world is so beautiful. And I have such limited time. Most of us are going to live until maybe 70, 80, 90 if we're lucky. And, um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of times we'll wait till retirement, but that's, I feel waiting too long because by the time we retire, we're too, uh, unhealthy depends how much, uh, you know, you work out and how well you eat. But usually we're too, um, I don't know what, I, what, what the right phrase is, but maybe not in the best shape to be able to travel as well as we can maybe in our 20s, 30s, or 40s. So I advocate for traveling young, traveling often, and finding a way to travel in spite of the circumstances. So uh, if it's worked for me, it can work for you. And uh, I really believe that travel is the best education for us as humans uh, in terms of all the life lessons which we alluded to earlier. But especially you know, as a dad of three, uh, my kids have learned uh, way more in that one year of travel, than they have in uh, public school back in Vancouver or private school here in the Philippines. Uh, not that not that there's nothing wrong with schooling. Obviously, I'm a big advocate of it. I've uh, done a lot of schooling myself, and we we're big proponents of formal traditional education, but also supplementing with the more the experiential, uh, hands-on learning through the power travel.
1: So you have uh, three kids of various ages, and obviously they. I would describe it as an upbringing that's not typical of, especially in North America and Vancouver, where it's actually, it's really expensive to travel anywhere, right? So what do you think the impact on them and what have maybe some of their, like, I guess, lessons that they've learned? um, And how do you, how do they view the world now that they've seen so much more than their, you know, their, the age group that they're in and their other children that they're exposed to.
0: Yeah, and I'm just super grateful for this opportunity to be travel with them because here I'm in the Philippines. It's a third world country. A lot of Filipinos have never even left their province. Uh, they don't have a passport. They haven't uh, left their country. So definitely, we're privileged, uh, quote unquote, uh, to be in the West. Or uh, growing up in a country of affluence or uh, the first world, right? So just uh, want to acknowledge that fact too. Uh, so in terms of our kids, um, they've learned a lot. Um, you know, there's a traditional schooling, there's a homeschooling. Uh, there's also something called world schooling, unschooling, life schooling, road schooling. There's that whole uh, educational paradigm of philosophy, which has really emerged in the last five or 10 years where parents uh aren't necessarily wanting their kids just to learn from in a classroom with a teacher with a textbook but do uh things like i mentioned you know like doing uh, road trips with them uh, teaching them about animals by doing animal safari teaching them about history by uh, going to the Inca ruins teaching them about geography by actually showing them volcanoes and mountains and uh, uh, oceans and uh, you know like scuba diving snorkeling like That kind of learning is way, 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 way more uh, educational than uh, a textbook, obviously, right? Uh, Because we're immersed in it and we are sensing it with all the senses, not just our brains, Mm -hmm. but our our soul, our spirit, our heart, our emotions. um, And memories are uh, far more important than materialism, I believe. And uh, so, you know, in terms of what they've learned, um, you know, I'll I'll give you an example maybe that would help. Kids, in general, love things. They love toys. Uh, you'll see kids and they'll start fighting over a toy. like uh, Even from a young age, they have this kind of uh, inbuilt uh, desire for materialism, like new toys. And obviously, commercialism and advertising has a part to do that during you know, Disney. And you'll see all these commercials for uh, the latest Hasbro, Hasbro toys, or Playmobil toys, or Lego toys. So, materialism has hit us as adults, but also hit our children. Um, and our kids had a lot of toys back in Vancouver, uh, way more than they needed. And every Christmas, every birthday, every uh, social function, we, they keep getting more and more and more and more things. So one quick story, Joel, is um, we actually volunteer when we travel. It's called volunteerism. It's not just traveling for the sake of vanity or taking pictures of the latest Instagram selfie or TikTok video, but it's also traveling for the sake of impact and making a difference and helping the communities we travel in. So we volunteer when we travel. We partner with uh, a few different organizations. Uh, one is Orphanage. Um, so we ended up uh, volunteering several orphanages when we traveled. Uh, a few were in Cape Town, South Africa, in Manaus, Brazil, in Medellin, uh, Colombia. And uh, I'll give you the quick story about Medellin, uh, Colombia, which is a digital nomad hotspot as well. we were in, uh, it's called uh, Youth with a Mission, Why? Um, youth with a mission, so YWAM, YWAM, and we were at this YWAM base at this orphanage, and our kids traveled with a few toys, and it was really impactful. We stayed in the orphanage for two weeks. At the end, our kids said, mom and dad, would it be okay to give away our toys to orphans? And uh, even now as I'm doing this interview, I get choked up because um, my kids had learned the importance of giving back and making a difference. Not just wanting more toys, but giving the the toys that they love to these orphans who had nothing. So that's one life lesson. Like, How could they learn that uh, in any other way, but actually interacting with the orphans and staying with them and seeing the difference between their riches and the orphans' lack of parents and uh, the poverty, so to speak, right? And their riches turn into generosity and love and compassion and empathy and giving. So yeah that's a quick example of how travel has impacted my three kids Joel. Uh,
1: wow yeah that's definitely I don't think something that you will find <laughs> in North America there's just not that I think I mean well or orf- there's not really orphanages in Vancouver right so I think you're right. I think that's amazing that they actually can. See, you know, I mean, obviously it's it's horrible, but it's I think it's important to to see it and not just learn it on the news and not to just have it you know spoon fed through. Um, I guess you know teachers, social media, what what have you. Um, so that's yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, so for somebody, I want to go back to this uh, digital nomad uh, concept. So for somebody who's listening to this and they say, wow, that, you know, seeing all that stuff, uh, experiencing, you know, all those different countries and, um, you know, and all that. How can somebody start out and take that step to become a digital nomad?
0: Great question again, Joel. No wonder you're doing these interviews. You're asking all these great questions for your listeners. I'm sure your listeners are already having that in their mind so how can you as a listener uh, become a digital nomad i really truly feel this any 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 anybody can be a digital nomad because of the power of the internet the internet knows no color it knows no passport it knows no geography it knows no income status it knows no you know sexual orientation knows no marital status etc so the internet is the great uh, solution uh, one of the greatest solutions to the world's problems, obviously, right? Not their solution, but one of the solutions, right? So through the internet, I believe everyone can work online. Um, obviously, if you have an African passport or a Middle Eastern passport or a country with a third, third world country passport, maybe it's not as easy to get into countries or get visas, etc. But in general, everyone can work online. This is pretty much fact, quote unquote, depending on your internet speed, et cetera. So you can work online. And how do you start? Um, This is the the harder question how to start (laughs) because if you do a Google if you do a Google search y'all, how do you make money online? You know this right and I'm sure some of your listeners have done this You'll find millions and millions of different websites. How to make money online internet marketing gurus buy my course join my mastermind uh, you know uh, uh, watch my webinar etc. So I really feel you need to start from a point of passion, okay? So I'm not here to sell anyone anything on this call here. Uh, I'm here to just educate uh, from my own experience and hopefully share any uh, inspiration I can with your listeners here. So um, start with a point of passion. What are you truly, truly, truly passionate about? It could be people, it could be the environment, it could be animals, and then figure out how to monetize that passion uh, digitally. Um, so there's a lot of ways you can monetize passions digitally. Um, Mark, uh, Joel is actually an author, as am I, so you could write books on any topic. Uh, pets, environment, cars, you name it, right? So you could write books. And then there's something called repurposing your content. So I'm not saying start with the book. I'm just saying you, that's one of the ways you can make money online, writing books. Uh, obviously, the amount of books you need to sell is quite significant for you to make money because Average book might be like five U.S. for Kindle or less, maybe 20 U.S. for hard or soft cover or less. Right. So we're talking about not a lot of money per piece, but per, per volume it can add up. Right. So not just selling books, but also repurposing that book into different forms. Right. Um, you can uh, create a, not just the book, but the content of the book, uh, the content of your knowledge. It's called the information or content marketing. So you're repurposing it from a written form to audio forum like we're doing in a podcast, to video forum like on YouTube or Vimeo, uh, to turning it into a course on things like Skillshare or Udemy or Thinkific or Kajabi, uh, turning it into a mastermind group where it's like a, you're teaching your knowledge or content or information to a small group of people, maybe three, four, five, six people. And then the highest leverage of your time is you're going to share that knowledge and charge for it on a one-on-one basis um, so what your they call it IP intellectual property is worth money uh, no matter what the topic of your expertise is so it has to be you have to be an expert is kind of a debatable term right I mean as long as you know more than someone else you can teach them uh, you not you might not be expert in the sense of like the thousand you know 10,000 hours to be an expert kind of philosophy from Malcolm Gladwell but as long as you know more than the other person and your credibility, reputations, success, um, uh, results, then you can teach others uh, in many forms, like I mentioned. And all those are monetizable. Coaching power could be anywhere from like 100 US an hour to some people charge 200, 300, 400, 500 an hour, 1,000 an hour, right? So again, based on your results and your credibility, reputation, how much you feel you're worth, that's a whole separate topic, right? Uh, charging for what you're worth. Coaching, small groups, masterminds, online courses. Um, you can sell stuff on Amazon and eBay, uh, Alibaba, etc. cetera. Uh, you can do graphic design. You can do website design. You can do ghostwriting like uh, Joel, our friend here, does. Uh, you can do uh, book writing. Uh, you can also speak while you travel. Like uh, I am an international speaker as well, so I speak as I travel as well. Uh, getting paid for it uh, by a company or uh, organization or speaking for free and then selling one of your products after you can do webinars, sell stuff on there. So you could tell here the sky is literally not the limit. Um, So there's a lot of stuff you can do and we can elaborate on any of those single things I mentioned.
1: Yeah, I was going to say there's that's a lot to unpack there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think where I want to start is. So you mentioned speaking. Uh, I think speaking is a great way to make money to get your voice out there. can you tell us a little bit about your journey as a as an international speaker? Because I know you did. I wanted to talk about specifically your TEDx talk, um, and how did you get involved? And again, yeah, what would you recommend to people who want to start speaking?
0: Great questions. I love these questions, man. Every question you uh, have asked have been great. So, what would you? Uh, how would you get started as a speaker? So, I would say. The way I started, it, uh, there's two ways I started, okay? One is Toastmasters. So uh, I've been a Toastmaster for a good 10 years plus. I'm no longer one, like currently, but I've got myself up there in the Toastmaster ranking. So that's how I started. I was, uh, I, uh, a little unknown, unknown fact about me. I was voted most shy in high school. You know, they have those high school annuals. I was super shy. I not believe that.
1: Schooler. Wow, really?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. Seriously, seriously. I have my annual to prove it, my high school annual. Windsor Secondary School, in North Vancouver, uh, Ricochetty, most shy. So anyway, yeah, I got voted most shy, and obviously now I'm more outgoing. Uh, I broke the shell, so to speak, by travels, uh, but also by Toastmasters. You know, when I first started Toastmasters, I was doing my ums, by ahs, by you knows. And I'll still say it on this interview, I'll be saying Souls a lot. I'm still working on the, the souls. And there'll be some words I keep using over and over when I'm speaking, when I'm doing webinars, when I'm doing podcasts. So even though I've been speaking for a good like five to eight years roughly, I'm still working on my speaking skills. But I started as a Toastmaster, and uh, that's a great place to start, a first place. Secondly, I would recommend meetup.com. A lot of meetup organizers are looking for speakers uh, to share their knowledge. And if you, if you cannot find a meetup, start one. Um, you know, again, any topic under the sun, you can have a meetup around that topic, uh, and then you'll find other people with that common interest and just be the speaker, be the leader. And then again, the more you speak, the better you'll get. So those would be two suggestions I would give to your audience, Toastmasters and meetup.
1: And so how did you become a TEDx speaker? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I paid a lot of money and bribed my way in. No, just kidding, just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> uh, you're actually not allowed to pay to be a TEDx speaker. No, um, basically what happened is uh, I was here in the Philippines, and uh, I'd, uh, I'll i kind of share a little backstory. Joel and me know each other also from TEDx, like we uh, have connected through that as well with uh, TEDx Stanley Park. But um, I was volunteering at TEDx in Vancouver, and I'd actually applied to be a TEDx speaker twice in Vancouver, I believe it was that one was at SFU and one was at East, TEDx East Fan and TEDx SFU. I got rejected both times, uh, for whatever reason. Maybe my topic wasn't on point, or I wasn't the right fit for uh, the theme of the TEDx event. Um, so I got rejected twice. You know, uh, uh, drowned my head in shame, so to speak. Then I came here to the Philippines and I was again looking for TEDx opportunities, and I found that there was one in a uh, different province. Like we were based in Manila, and it was in a city called Tacloban, which is uh, few islands away, and I just applied. I, I, uh, I'll kind of share with you my strategy. I didn't apply front door. The front door is like you go to TEDx.com, uh, TED, sorry, TED.com, and you look for all the TEDx events in your city or province or state, and you just start applying. That's the front door approach, uh, kind of like a job interview, front door, job application, speaker application. Uh, this is a backdoor approach, which is networking, um, and I did that. I actually looked for the organizers of the TEDx events near Manila, and I messaged them on Facebook. I said, hey, I'm from Vancouver. Uh, I'm living here in the Philippines. I'd love to speak to you at a TEDx event. And one of the organizers messaged me back on Messenger, Facebook, and said to me, we'd love to have you as a speaker. Uh, Our event's coming up in November, Um, you're in. And I was like, whoa, no application, (laughs) nothing like that. And literally, it was as easy as a Facebook message. I didn't hesitate. I just took action. And I got rewarded by being offered a TEDx spot through Facebook Messenger alone. And once I'd been accepted through that uh, Messenger conversation, then I had to fill out the application, send in my headshot, my bio, website, et cetera. So that's literally the story of how I became a TEDx speaker.
1: That's awesome. Uh, what, what did you do to prepare your speech? Like you obviously, it sounded like you didn't have anything in mind when you, when you started. And so how did, you, how did you go from nothing to amazing speech?
0: Yeah, again, I'm a big advocate of passion. Again, I might be repeating myself, but start with your passion. So like my passion is travel and being a digital nomad, kind of what we've been talking about in this interview, family travel, et cetera. So I talked about that. Um, uh, three steps to be a digital nomad. It's on, you know, you can share the link on the show notes. It's on uh, YouTube and also on the Ted.com website, my uh, TEDx talk. Um, How did I prepare? There's a few ways that you can prepare for a big speech or a TEDx level type of speech. Um, Some people write down their whole script, which is a good idea. Some people will just share it amongst uh, close friends or family and then kind of do mock speech, getting feedback. I I did those things, I wrote out the speech, I did mock speeches, I just literally recorded myself in front of my my phone doing the speech, watching myself, watching uh, everything, my eye contact, my hand gestures, my my pitch, my tone, uh, how my stance, my posture was, everything. I dissected myself, analyzed myself, critiqued myself, I allowed others to critique me, I, I changed the content, tweaked the content. Uh, every word you say is important. It's only 18 minutes. They say the most important 18 minutes of your life. You know, they say, if you had 18 minutes to live, what message would you give to the world? And that was my message memories over materialism, and uh, uh, savor family, and uh, see this world because life is short, right? That was my message. And I was able to share that to an audience of 800 in person, but now an audience of potentially millions, if not billions around the world. Uh, so those are some of my techniques for uh, preparing for my talk, uh, Joel.
1: Cool. Um, all right. I want. I still want to touch on the digital nomad um, aspect because, I mean, there's so many different like, you know, like you mentioned, there's so many different um, jobs that you can do online. You can graphic design, web design, writing, like all that we mentioned, but you need other skills too. You need to know how to market yourself. You need to know how to sell yourself. You need to know how to um, do client relations. What, like, what are some of the things that people can do to to learn these skills? I think you know they're entrepreneur skills that will help you become a digital nomad.
0: Yeah, I think I mentioned one of the platforms. One was uh, Udemy. Udemy, you can get courses for very cheap. Um, you can buy courses on sale uh, with the Udemy coupon code or Udemy flash sales for like 10 US dollars, 20 US dollars, really affordable for most people, right? And then even a lot of instructors give away the course. If you can't afford the course, just message the the instructor look them up on Facebook Facebook stock them and message them and just say hey I saw you have a course. sorry I can't afford it will you be able to uh, give me a coupon code in exchange for review and most instructors you know hey message me I have like 20 Udemy courses I'll give you guys the coupon codes happy to do that to give back and uh, help you guys out um, so Udemy is a great place uh, just search for the topic you're interested in uh, as an entrepreneur a business owner one of the key skills is branding especially personal branding Um, Learning branding is vital. Learning marketing, as you mentioned, is vital. And uh, sales. A lot of us don't like sales. Uh, A lot of people say the word or the phrase, I hate sales. I hate selling. Uh, But remember, we're selling all the time. You know, if you ever recommended a movie, uh, you're selling. If you recommend a restaurant, you're selling. Uh, We're selling, quote unquote, all the time to friends and family. We're selling movies selling uh, clothing, you know, like, oh, this uh, nice place to buy clothes, et cetera. A nice restaurant around the corner, right? So we're selling all the time. So I think if you look at it that way, it might ease the burden in terms of thinking you need to sell and uh, ask people for money, et cetera, right? So learning those skills through Udemy. Uh, YouTube, I mean, YouTube, it's kind of hard to sort through the mess or the junk, so to speak, because there's so many YouTube videos, right? But even YouTube um, has a lot of amazing content you just have to find the right ones. You might have to uh, filter through a lot of junk to find the right ones. Look for uh, the amount of views. Usually, that indicates if it's a good video. If it has a lot of uh, views and also a lot of comments, right? If people are commenting and engaging with the content, that means it's usually a good a video and a good resource for learning. Uh, books, obviously, uh, you know, on Kindle, uh, you can buy books or get them for free again. Um, you know, local library, you can get books as well, uh, and. You know, you know, there's a lot of different resources. Uh, asking people, I would say as well, just uh, ask someone who is more knowledgeable for advice. Most people who become successful are willing to give back and help those are starting out. So, yeah, hopefully those tips help aspiring a new entrepreneurs, as digital nomads.
1: What uh, course? What Udemy courses would you recommend? They can be either yours or somebody <laughs> else's.
0: Mine, mine. <laughs> uh, I have about fifteen or twenty different courses. Uh, they all are into the mastery uh, branding so i have branding mastery i have social media mastery i have blog mastery i have podcasting mastery i have youtube mastery i have digital nomad mastery i have travel mastery a public speaking mastery ah, i gotta take a breath uh, <laughs> i have um uh, amazon uh, mastery about self-publishing etc so i have several different courses online and i feel they're good i've got Uh, several hundred different reviews on those courses saying they're good so I didn't have to pay those people to say it but they're uh, they've said that they're good Um, so yeah my courses are good but also you know just go to Udemy again do the same thing what I mentioned on YouTube do a search on whatever topic you're curious about like public speaking or um, financial management whatever and then uh, look for the reviews the ratings and then uh, the number of students and that'll be a good indicator of what courses to buy on Udemy.
1: So, I, I mean, I first knew you as the daddy blogger. Um, have you always enjoyed writing or was that something you just kind of fell into um, over time?
0: A little bit of both. Um, I always like journaling. Uh, I I like processing my thoughts through journaling or talking. Uh, Some people are introverted. They might uh, like to just journal, um, self-reflect. Some people are more extroverted. They like to grab a cup of joe, a cup of coffee with a friend, and and, and, then externalize their thoughts. So I'm kind of a fusion between the two. I like socializing, but I also like writing, self-reflection, blogging, uh, introspection, spirituality, meditation, that kind of stuff. So... In terms of uh, transitioning to daddy blogger um, when I became a dad I'll just quickly share with you a little backstory so my parents actually um, had arranged marriage the Indian Uh, they moved to Canada their marriage wasn't so good they ended up having a divorce and that left me with a lot of fears about uh, getting married myself also becoming a dad myself a lot of fears insecurities self-doubts am I gonna get a divorce am I gonna be a bad dad right so The reason I started Daddy Blogger is really uh, self-healing, so to speak, uh, to process my fears around fatherhood, to learn from other good dads. And that's why I started this mission, Daddy Blogger. It was very much a small mission uh, for myself, only. even if no one read it. uh, I was happy just for me to process what it means to be a dad. And then slowly it picked up steam uh, from Daddy Blogger uh, being a local Vancouver-based blog to being more nationally recognized, getting readers from like you know, Toronto, Montreal, uh, Calgary, Edmonton, to becoming more global, getting readers globally you know from obviously US, our neighbor, uh, Europe, Australia, you know, Asia, et cetera. So it became a global brand in the span of, uh, I would say six months to a year. Uh, soon afterwards, I started getting sponsorship opportunities uh, paid and also in kind. Um, honestly, a lot more in kind. A lot of companies would email me out of the blue, um, just in my inbox, I would get, uh, Ricky at daddyblogger.com. Um, you know, opportunity to work together, partnership, uh, opportunity, et cetera, from big brands. I've worked with like, um, you know, big car brands like Lexus and uh, Disney, Apple. I worked with, um, HP, so many, um, And I I got started, uh, the UPS and the FedEx person started to get to know my address really well. They started sending me stuff in the mail, like big boxes of stuff. I've got, like, uh, laptops before, tablets, cell phones, printers, uh, luxury cars to drive, not to keep, to drive for a week, like test drive it, and then to uh, write about how we like it as a family car, you know, like... um, uh, like, a, what do you call it? A Lexus SUV, like a $60,000 car. They were just like, uh, let me drive a week, you know? I was just like, kind of in shock because I was like, whoa, you're trusting me with a $60,000 car? Uh, you know, obviously it's insured by Lexus, they can afford it <laughs> if I got in an accident. Uh, and then they flew, started flying me to places, you know? Like, I got flown by Lexus to uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, By Volkswagen Canada, they flew me across uh, the prairies to drive across Canada and promote the new Volkswagen line. I got flown in helicopters. I uh, I was living the life, so to speak, you know, Mm -hmm. celebrity level, um, without making the Brad paychecks, you know, just (laughs) without getting the money. I was just getting uh, treated really well at restaurants. They're like, you're a blogger. You're a foodie. Here's a five-course meal for your wife, for your kids. Eat whatever you want from the menu. And nice. the bill's on us, right? And just write nice things about us, hopefully. So, yeah, I really got treated well as a blogger. Uh, and even as I traveled, you know, I, I didn't really talk about me blogging as a traveler. I was able to stay in hotels around the world, um, eat in restaurants around the world, get sightseeing tours around the world, all for free. So uh, blogging has been an incredibly life-changing experience for me personally. I, it sounds like because of all the free stuff, but also because of the impact I've made, uh, I've had new dads email me, message me, saying like, hey, uh, I was in the verge of like, uh, I'll, again, I'll share a quick short story. Uh, a 19-year-old uh, boy, he, a teenager, you know, he got his girlfriend pregnant and then he was going to be a dad and he was so nervous, 19 being a dad, you know, you can imagine, right? And he uh, messaged me, he was actually from Vancouver. And he's like, hey, I see you're so passionate about fatherhood. I'm so nervous I'm going to be a dad. I don't know who to turn to. I'm afraid to tell anyone who would think about getting an abortion. I said to him, come over. Uh, I lived in East Van as a come over man. Uh, you know, just uh, we'll hang out. We'll talk. He came over. And after one or two hours together, he just felt so encouraged. He's like, you had all this fear, to Ricky. You know, I feel so much better. And uh, I don't need to be afraid. Uh, and now they are parents. And uh, they have a wonderful kid. And uh, I feel... You know, even if I just impacted that one guy, prevented that one abortion, I'm pro-life, by the way, so just if I prevented, no offense to any pro-choices, pro don't want to get into that. But, you know, just to the fact that I was able to save, quote, unquote, that one uh, kid maybe from abortion, and that the dad, I encouraged him and inspired him and equipped him with resources. It would have all been worth it just for that one dad and that one kid who could be the next prime minister of Canada. Who knows, right? So that one kid uh, who has been... Um, you know, uh, born with the help of me, not, not, not the help in the, in the hospital, but just with the help of my encouragement to that, the dad. Right. So that kind of story, I've got so many of those kind of stories. I started a dad's community group in Vancouver called why we are dads with diamond. Well, and then, uh, obviously I wrote books about fatherhood, et cetera. So yeah, fatherhood's a huge, 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 huge passion of mine. Joel. Um,
1: so. You mentioned personal branding as being super important for uh entrepreneur a being or a digital nomad. How did you balance your personal brand when everyone was throwing free stuff your way and how did was there some sort of uh process that um where you would not work with somebody?
0: absolutely yeah hundred yeah, percent Joel uh, I will never ever 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 work with uh uh, something that conflicts my value system. So, as a dad, I don't want to advocate or promote uh, smoking, uh, drinking, gambling. Um, and I got approached by gambling companies a lot, especially especially online gaming. I mean, it's debatable whether that's good, that's good or bad. Online gaming, uh, online not online gaming, online gambling. Um, it's debatable whether it's good or bad. But just as a, as a dad, uh, I didn't know some people are prone to addiction with uh, online gambling or just gambling in general. I didn't want to advocate on, about gambling, even though they're willing to pay me. Uh, I, got em- I, I still get emails all the time from online gaming uh, websites saying, uh, they'll pay me to put links to the site, to write about that site. I say no without even in- considering pricing. Pricing is irrelevant. Offer me ten thousand U.S. hundred thousand, I'll say no in heartbeat because my integrity is not sellable. I'm not going to sell my integrity, my value system for any price tag. So I'll say no, flat no to anything gambling related. I'll say flat no to anything alcohol or cigarette related too. Just, it's, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll I won't, I don't smoke, but I'll drink here and there socially. But I just don't want to advocate for that on my website. It's family friendly, right? So those are three examples of something I don't uh, allow on my site um there's an integrity issue when you don't like a product uh, how do you write about it if you've been given that for free that's a whole separate conversation but uh if and this happened to me i uh, will go to a restaurant i won't like the meal or i'll be the a product and it's like i'll give you an example of some cars they've, they've asked me to drive and it's just not workable as a family because my stroller won't fit in the the boot in the trunk so I, I, there's a few ways i can go around it one way is uh to write about the positive things and just um not mention the bad things if it if it's something I still support but the bad thing is doesn't outweigh the support benefits if you know what I mean or I'll just flat out say um, I like your product but it's just not a good fit for my audience even after I received it I'll say that and that's again integrity uh, because I can't write about something I don't personally feel is good for another dad or another family right so uh, I would say uh, if you are strong in line with your integrity and with your value system, uh, you'll filter any opportunities based on that. And then you can just say, no, and people will respect you for that. They'll say, wow, you know, like, even though we've sent you this product, even though, uh, uh we had an agreement that you write good things, but the fact that you don't think it's good and you're not writing about that, we respect that. We respect that. And, uh, we're okay with it. So I've had to say no several times and I've had to not write about things just out of, uh, personal, um, morality or ethics.
1: You wrote a book. Uh, I want to talk about your your, your uh, Amazon bestseller. You wrote ten books. Uh, there's one in particular uh, I want to talk about, um, but you know, feel free to elaborate and talk about the others. Um, but the the wisdom you learned as a dad, um, you mentioned that um, you know in your pre in the previous question. But what are some life life lessons that you have? you you gave that uh, new dad or you know the dad that was thinking about abortion but decided not to or anyone who is who is going through that that process and that and that fear
0: yeah um i do have 10 books joel um they're all on amazon and kindle both the print version also the digital ebook uh, version as well Um, So my books are The Wisdom from Daddy's book, which is a fatherhood book. I also have a series about uh, travel called Exploring the Continents. It features all seven continents. And then I have a couple comic books about uh, parenting and marriage as well. And I've also been a part of a few collaborations, which I don't count as part of the 10. The 10 are all under my name as uh, the only author. Um, So in terms of um, what wisdom I've learned from interviewing 100 dads, so just like you're doing to me today, is you're interviewing me on Zoom. I also did the interviews with 100 dads on Google Hangout and also Zoom and uh, Skype um, over the course of about a year. And all that knowledge from picking their brains, I summarized in a book. And it's so hard to summarize the summary, um, you know, uh, because the summary Go, was going like back
1: 120.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but I want to give give the an, a question justice by answering it. Um. So, the book's 120 pages, but what's the kind of the key lessons there? Um. So the key lessons from the book are. Uh, love is spell time. That's the phrase that really stands out for me. Love is spell time. So as dads, as men, we are traditionally the breadwinners, the providers, and protectors. You know, societally. Historically, culturally, globally, you know, uh, men are that role, being the providers financially and then being the protectors in terms of safety, security. M- women have been traditionally, again, traditionally only, uh, more of the the nurturers or the supporters, you know. Um, but that's changed, obviously, 21st century here, 2020. Uh, both men and women are working. Uh, both moms and dads are working, unfortunately. Uh, unfortunately, I want to say, uh, kids are being raised by daycares. Again, debatable, contentious issue. Uh, I'm not afraid to speak my mind, but I don't, I don't feel that's the best way to parent a child. I feel mom or dad or both has to be the primary caregiver, right? Not a daycare. So again, debatable topic. Um, so love is spell time. What does this mean? What does this mean? So as dads, we're so driven to make money that we often forget who we're driven to make money for. We'll work crazy hours. We'll work nine to five. We'll work evenings. As entrepreneurs, we'll work sunrise to sunset, right? Until our hairs go gray. We'll go to a networking event after networking event. And we'll work like crazy. And we'll be so exhausted by the time we come to come home that we'll crash in the bed and then repeat and rinse and repeat, right? So love is spelled time. So at the end of the day, are our kids gonna remember daddy worked like crazy, he made lots of money, or are they gonna remember? Daddy hung out with me, making the puzzle, reading me the book, saying bedtime prayers with me, having that family dinner together. You, you know this Joel, your listeners know this. Family is central to our identities, to, to our identity formation. If we have a broken family, we become broken kids, who become broken adults, who in turn broke uh, the break other adults, right? So if the family unit is broken, society's broken, the world's broken, right? So I really feel as dads, again, traditional model, I feel our dads are a little bit more of the leaders and our job is to lead our family in those important areas I mentioned. Those dinners, those are non-negotiable. Those uh, bedtime prayers, the bedtime stories, the hugs, the kisses, the I love yous. And that's how we spell time, love to our kids, T-I-M-E, quality time. I believe that Time provision is more important than financial provision, because at the end of the day, you know, I didn't know how what your case is with your dad and all. My dad provided for me. You know, I had a car when I was 16. I had a university education by my mom and dad, but I didn't have that quality time. That was my father wound, so to speak. Right. And I was yearning and lacking that father, the father figure. So. Really, as dads, we, and as, as men, as you know, you're newly married, uh, so as husbands, we need to be there for our wives, for our spouses, for our kids, for our families, not just in money, but in time. So I, I'm beating a horse to death here, like time, 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 is the central message of my book. Quality time with your kids is second to none. That should be our primary focus as dads.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I, growing up, my, my dad was definitely the provider. He, he's a lawyer and he worked long hours, as you said, but we, I always remember he, he would teach, he uh, would coach other my soccer games, my baseball games and would always come out and, and watch me. So those are the things I remember. It's not the, not the dinners that he skipped or the, um, at times he wasn't there, you know? So I think that, yeah, very important. Um, do you have a, a writing routine?
0: Writing routine, yes and no. Um, I, you know, there's a saying, writer's block. I definitely suffer for that, from that. There are times when I'm super, 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 super inspired. And there are times when I'm not inspired at all. It could be just the busyness of my state of mind or the business of my work schedule and the other times where I'm just like so driven to write. Um, so part of it's a little bit of a, um, circumstantial, I would say, or unpredictable, but, but when I do get into those writing zones, I definitely like solitude. I don't, uh, because I have a, a wife and three young kids, obviously I'm getting distracted. They'll hop on the uh, hop on me while I'm writing, et cetera. And my lock isn't strong enough to keep them out. Uh, so definitely need solitude. And, when I've written my 10 books uh, and, and that could be another question itself, how do you, how the heck do you write 10 books being uh, married dad with three young kids and having online business, right? Definitely very difficult. Uh, it takes some time management, but I would say block of time in your schedule. Um, you know, if you have a calendar on your phone, just put it down saying, uh, uh, Joel's writing time, Ricky's writing time, Sally's writing time, whatever you want to call it, right? So writing time, it's non-negotiable, put in your calendar and then, put it as uh, located somewhere else outside of your home because if you're at your home you're going to find distractions i like, gotta cook dinner gotta watch the news next netflix, netflix movie uh, gotta watch the news you know gotta scroll on facebook and find out what all your friends are doing etc so if you put a dedicated time and place uh, that's outside of your home Again, this is just works for me, okay? I, I don't want to say this is for everyone. It just works for me. Some people are okay with riding in their home, in an office or whatever, man cave. Uh, for me, I needed to get out of the home, uh, get into uh, the zone. So for me, I, and it's kind of funny because I'm saying get into solitude. The zone for me was the McDonald's on Boundary and Hastings. I know that uh, one well. Yeah, Grandview Highway there. Uh, Grandview B- Highway Mc, uh, McDonald's. So I would go there. I would just sit in a corner with the comfy... Mm-hmm. Uh, the the cushion uh, seats and i would bring my laptop and uh, not have internet there uh so just sitting there and writing continuously until i'd written enough till i got tired and uh, maybe my back started hurting a little bit then go home and that worked really well for me joel um second thing that worked really well for me is making my deadline public so i'll give you a quick example i published my first book on father's day uh, 2012 And on January 1st, 2012, I made it public, I'm going to publish a book on Father's Day. So I I gave myself six months, I put it on Facebook, and it forced me, because I was like, oh, man, I'm accountable now, because I put it on Facebook, then I'm going to have a Father's Day book out. So I had a deadline, and I made that deadline public, and now I was accountable to my Facebook community. Uh, That helped as well, having deadline and accountability. Um, And then, uh, as I I want to reiterate, uh, dedicated time and place to write.
1: Um, so you mentioned fear in a couple instances. Can you, if, if you feel, um, appropriate or if if you want to, um, how do you personally deal with fear and what can, what are some tools that either dads or anybody in general can use to push that, push past that fear to get to really
0: strive for those dreams? How do I deal with fear? I run behind a bush and I hide for as long as possible. No, just joking, joking. I, I struggle, man. I struggle. Uh, so I've struggled with fear. I've struggled with depression. I'm very much open book here. I've struggled with depression, fear uh, of judgment from others, uh, financial failure, and just isolating myself. Um, and I, I don't think I've dealt with it in the right way. So maybe I'm not the best person to ask you, all. but I, I've dealt with it. Not, not like addictions. Like some people might be addicted to alcohol or gambling or pornography. Um, I didn't do any of those things, but I, I just isolated. That was my addiction. I, the addiction of isolation and withdrawal and um, not connecting with people. Like uh, staying home a lot. That that was kind of my ways of unhealthily dealing with it. Some people eat right. Like they'll just eat uh, to cope with the. Fear in a general term, but maybe failure in a uh, kind of broader term there. Uh, how, how do you healthily deal with fear might be the better question here. So how did I healthily deal with fear? Uh, I'm just being vulnerable here, as you can tell here. I dealt with that unhealthily through like eating, binge eating or uh, isolating. But how did I deal with healthily? I think just expressing it, like, you know, just the fact that I'm saying that to your audience here means I've overcome the fear. Because I'm not afraid that people are judging Ricky here are saying, oh, Ricky uh, was overeating. Ricky was depressed. Ricky was uh, uh, isolating himself. That, that's actually uh, a strength, the fact that I'm sharing that. Um, because most people don't. Most people don't share that they do those things. But we all do those things in different ways, right? We all get excited about something. We, we, at the beginning, we're so pumped, so excited, rah, rah, rah. And then we get excited, and increase increases. You hit a roadblock. It could be relationship difficulties, it could be financial difficulties, it could be health difficulties. And then we retreat. Uh, so we need to somehow turn back from the retreat by talking to a friend, by just sharing it publicly on a blog, uh, on a podcast uh, to the world to hear, or, or just uh, journaling. Yeah, so there's different ways uh, it can work for you. But I would say definitely. Uh, vulnerability is the key to conquering fear and then uh, sharing it, sharing it right either with uh, close spouse friend sibling parent uh, or publicly if you feel compelled or okay with it and when you're open to share your vulnerability guess what we all have been there we've all struggled and uh, we, it gives them the people are listening, you know, you guys are listening. Maybe it gives you guys opportunity to say, hey, I've also dealt with that isolation struggle. I've dealt with that depression struggle. I've dealt with that uh, hiding behind the bush uh, metaphor, right? So, yeah, I've dealt with it unhealthily, Joel, and uh, hopefully a little bit of healthiness by being vulnerable.
1: Well, thanks for sharing, Ricky. I I would say those are my... Ah, uh, go to bad habits as well. It's definitely mm-hmm. cutting myself off for sure, um, which is easy for me to do as a writer. Um, mm-hmm. overeating as well. that's a, that's a big one. Um, yeah, my wife uh, she makes chocolates at home, so it's yeah, it's easy to do. <laughs> um, yeah. I, i've I've got one last question. Um, what? And this is one that I generally, um, I generally ask my um, my audience or my um, my guest. Um, and that is, is there a book that has particularly influenced you in your life, and how?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would uh, recommend a couple. I'll cheat a little bit by recommending two. Yeah, please. Uh, uh, yeah, Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. It's all about uh, purpose. And there's another book also. It's also about purpose. It with why by Simon Sinek, um, because I'm, I'm, I feel I'm very purpose-driven in my life or in my fatherhood, in my parenting. I run a purpose-driven business, purpose-driven travel, etc. cetera. So um, purpose has been a defining feature of my life, and I, a lot of people struggle with purpose. Why am I, am I on this planet, and why do I exist, and uh, what should I do with my life, right? Those kind of big, big life philosophical questions. Well, if you have those, which I'm sure all of us have had at some point, Many points, uh, then get those books. Purpose Driven Life. uh, I'll spoil it a little. I'll just say the first sentence of the book. The first sentence of the book, Purpose Driven Life, is this It's not about you. Yeah, let that sink in. The purpose of your life is not about you, it's about others. The impact you can make on this world, the legacy you can leave, the difference you can make, right? So, uh, you know, if you like that kind of philosophy on it's not about you or being other centric, grab that book and start with why is kind of a fusion between personal and business. It's more business oriented. It talks about how companies such as Apple, um, they're purpose driven and that's why people are willing to sleep outside the stores in the middle of the night in the cold of New York city in the winter, just to get the latest iPhone, tablet, smartwatch, etc. Right? So Apple is very purpose driven. Whereas something like Samsung, no offense to Samsung, great company, um, but they aren't as, Purpose-driven, they're more like tech-driven. They create great products, but they they don't have that rabid fan base where people are willing to sleep outside of a Samsung store. I did not know. I have never seen people sleeping or heard about people sleeping outside Samsung. So, Apple's very purpose-driven, and that's why they're one of the most successful companies in the history of the world. So, we can learn from companies like Apple, and we can implement that in our own businesses and in our own lives. Being uh, having purpose-driven business and being purpose-driven entrepreneurs uh, and having a purpose-driven podcast too, like yours, Joel, and purpose-driven books like yours and mine, Joel. Um, so yeah, I would say definitely purpose uh, the, the Purpose-Driven Life again by Rick Warren and secondary Simon Sinek, uh, Start With Why.
1: Well, I think that's a perfect place to end it. Thanks so much, Ricky, for being on my show <laughs> Really appreciate your time. Uh, if people want to find you, what's the best place to look you up and reach out?
0: Yeah, you can check out daddyblogger.com. Uh, that's my uh, forte, fatherhood and family. Uh, you can just Google Ricky Shetty. I have lots of different resources online. Everything from private coaching, if anything I've said uh, resonates with you, I'd love to coach you on that subject, whatever, when, whatever the many subjects I, I kind of brought up here. Uh, coaching, I offer that. I also have online courses. I have a podcast as well, by the way, uh, Digital Nomad Mastery, where I've interviewed 500 plus digital nomads. It's the largest collection of digital nomad interviews in the world, uh, Digital Nomad Mastery. I also have some virtual summits online and uh, um, books. Yeah, a lot of books on Amazon too. So just Google Ricky Shetty or go uh, search on Udemy, on Amazon, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube. And... As of a few weeks ago, TikTok, I'm now a TikToker too. So you can hear, you can see and watch Ricky dancing on TikTok too. (laughs) So there you go. A lot of different ways to find me, just Ricky Shetty or daddyblogger.com.
1: All right. Thank you so much, Ricky, for for taking the time again.
0: Thank you, Joel. You're doing a great job with the podcast. And it's great to reconnect with you. All the best over there in Vancouver and all the best to your listeners, uh, no matter where in the world you're listening from. Thanks, everyone.
1: Take care. Bye. Thank you for
0: listening to Publishing for Profit. Please like and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.